Welcome to Camping Horrors, the podcast where real people share their most disturbing experiences that happened while camping. This is an archives episode. That means it's a collection of stories from my other shows, with the music replaced with relaxing nature sounds. Keep in mind, these stories might be old and feature my old narration quality. No worries, though. Newer stories get much better. Eventually, I'll be narrating brand new camping horror stories. And to help us get there, you can send us your creepiest camping encounters at darkstories.org. Now, throw a log on the fire. The night is still young. My First Time Camping with Friends by the Angry Chicken Lady You can call me Alice. I'm currently 25 and live in Essex, England. I was 19 when, in April 2012, my male best friend invited me to go camping with him, along with a workmate that he fancied and some of her friends. I knew the main reason for him inviting me was because I could drive, but he was also my close friend, and I got along well with his friends that I'd met, so I said I was game. Even when I discovered my ex and his new girlfriend would be there, I was still excited, as they were both genuinely nice people, and there were no negative feelings. When the time came, we loaded up in my tiny old Nova and my ex's car, and we set off to the new forest. Our drive was long, we even had a good laugh after we turned up at the wrong campsite, and we finally rolled into the right place. We stayed Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night to drive home on Monday. Friday and Saturday went by undramatically, and we had great fun exploring the area and having barbecues, etc. We decided not to set up in the open field area with loads of tents and noise, opting instead for a clearing edged by trees on three sides, just down this tree-lined stony lane, maybe 800 yards off the main field. There were two other camps down there, spaced far apart from each other, probably other people after some peace and quiet like we were. The rest of my group really ballsed up at setting up the tent and airbeds, so they ended up freezing night after night, lying only a few millimeters away from liquid mud, but that's camping in England during the spring for you. As for me, I slept in my car each night, despite my achy back. On Sunday morning, I groggily creaked out of my car, grabbing my wash bag and toiletries, and started to totter off to the loos, which are at the top of the treeless slope. Suddenly, a short, chubby man comes waddling down the lane. He sees me and starts to walk around my car. He looks absolutely livid. I made brief eye contact with him, and I saw the rage in his eyes. I assumed he's something to do with one of the other camps behind us. It's too early for that kind of stuff, so I looked away and continued on. Then I hear him shout, but I can't hear him due to my tinnitus. He wasn't super close just yet, so he shouts again, this time getting my attention, and he speeds up toward me. You can all get out right now before I call the police. You're not welcome here. I stop and blink. What's he on about? He continues shouting, gaining attention from all the camps now. He starts raving on about me driving donuts around the mini roundabout near the reception for speeding up and down the road that runs down the camping fields, 
then lists more dangerous driving offenses. Considering it was 7 a.m. and I literally just woke up, I was speechless. I tried to maintain composure and politeness despite his intimidating approach and explained that it could not have been me, but he insists that it had to only have been this car, saying that there's no other cars here like it. I turn defiantly and firmly shout to him, fine, touch the bonnet. We both touch the hood of the car at the same time, and of course it was gratifyingly cool to the touch. See, I said, if I'd been speeding around like you claim, the engine would be hot and the metal bonnet would be heated. It wasn't me. His lip curled as he stared at the bonnet for nearly a minute, his hand still resting there as if trying to find some source of heat. In his eyes, I could see him realizing that I was correct. With the flounce and a mumbled word warning me about if he catches me again, he stormed off back up the lane. No one knew how to react to him, and the whole clearing had an atmosphere for a while. No one even recognized him as part of the staff, and he didn't wear a uniform. That was just the start of a very awful trip. On the final day there, we shook off the incident, and soon the entire campground had a particularly cheery atmosphere as the evening was nice. The smells of barbecues all over and ale hung everywhere. At about 1 a.m., the others retired to their tent, and I laid back in the front passenger seat for another achy rest. This time I left the window half rolled up while I wound down for the night and enjoyed the bliss of nature. It was pretty dark in our clearing. I started to drift off, enjoying the cool breeze rolling through thanks to the window. Suddenly, a long, terrible scream fills the air, and everything seems to turn to ice in an instant. I freeze in my sleeping bag, shocked and waiting for something else to happen. Then I hear a wailing sound, terrible, pitiful, shrieking twice more before stopping. I shiver in my seat, paralyzed. Gradually, I very slowly extend my hand and roll my window up, confirming that all the doors are locked. I sat still for a very long time, twitching when I saw movement rustling amongst the trees on the far side of the clearing. My eyes darted around, waiting to see some lunatic come running out of God knows where, Silence fell over the camp, the atmosphere tense and heavy. Somehow, I managed to fall asleep. It may not have even been that long afterwards, I had no clock for reference, and only realized I fell asleep when I woke up again. I checked my phone when I was awake, and saw that it was a quarter past four in the morning. I peered forward to see what had awoken me. There was a helicopter flying over the woods casting a beam of light here and there, a police car was parked not too far from us, and when I cracked my window open, I could hear the sounds of more vehicles in the distance. Something was going on. I decided to stay in my car, not sure what to do. We texted amongst each other. I explained what was going on that I could see, and we all settled on packing up early. Yet leaving took ages. When we finally emerged from the stony lane, we found the site to be crawling with more police, and no one was allowed to leave until they had answered several questions. All they told us was that someone had perished, 
and they needed any information available. I told them about the screams, and the rest had nothing to add, having slept through it. Eventually, we were allowed to leave. We decided to drive straight home, the atmosphere quiet and somber. This wasn't aided by me accidentally taking the wrong direction on the M25 and lengthening the already miserable journey. We later found out what happened. A large family had gone away for a big birthday weekend and thrown a barbecue at their campout. They were in the same camping area as us. When a little girl got sleepy, her family tucked her up in their tent and went back to their barbecue. Her mother got concerned that the daughter would get cold, so she put the used barbecue in the tent to keep her warm. When they checked in on her a few hours later, she had asphyxiated and sadly passed away. The screams we had heard that night were from her mother just discovering the lifeless body of her little girl. And to this day, it chills my blood when I think about it. Sometimes it comes unbidden to my mind, the terrible sound of raw, painful emotion and unimaginable horror. The New Forest is a wonderful and magical place to visit, and this experience didn't spoil it for me. But whenever I'm reminded of the New Forest, my mind always wanders to that little girl and her family. The Friendly Campers by Zack It was about a year ago. Me and my friends, a bunch of college students, had an affinity for road trips. It's just another form of escapism for us. As college goes, our bank accounts stopped accommodating trips around the East Coast, so we took up camping instead. My best friend owns this land a few hours east of Scranton, Pennsylvania. We all elected to take this big camping trip by the end of the summer, and we spent a while preparing. When the time came, we divided ourselves into two cars, split tents, food, drinks, and everything else among us. As we came close to the destination, our GPS went out, so we relied on physical maps we brought with us. After an hour, we arrived at the campsite at just about dusk. We unloaded all of our stuff, set up our tents, and built a nice bonfire. We delegated bonfire duty to one person, and by God, he kept it lit the whole day. The first night was fun. I got over the creepy ambience of being in the middle of nowhere after five or six beers. We exchanged stories, pranked each other, and soon went to bed. On the second day, a group of my friends decided they were going to make the two-hour drive to some hick town in order to get more firewood and snacks. I was in the group that stayed behind. According to them, they ended up getting lost in the morning fog and found themselves at the local store sometime after sunrise. After purchasing their stuff, they encountered a ragged old man in the parking lot, your archetypal hillbilly, as hick as you can get on the eastern seaboard. He asks for a cigarette, they oblige, and then begins to berate them with questions. Stuff like, what's your name? Where are you from? What are you doing here? To that latter question, he was very interested. He asks where we're camping, and if he could stop by. They think he's joking and laugh, but he insists. He says he'll hang out with us. 
and doesn't drop the subject, even as they are entering their car. By then, they're all too high to notice the guy hopping into his beaten-up pickup truck. They don't find out they're being followed until they leave the paved roads and see him following them onto the dirt trails leading back to the campsite. Again, I attribute this to them being high, but they still kept going back to the campsite. They said that they had no room to turn around and nowhere to go, but hey, leading this guy back was not a good idea. The whole time, I'm just sitting at the fire smoking and have no idea it's happening because of the absence of cell service in the area. When I see them rushing back hours late, I say, oh, come on, where are the snacks at? Where's breakfast? They make a jumbled recounting of this guy that followed them miles back. At first, I think they're just pranking, but the fear plastered onto their faces was obvious. They say he parked the car about 40 feet behind theirs and watched them get out. I get the rest of us together, and we all decide to confront this guy. So it turns out he was coming first. We're walking the 20-minute walk to the cars, and as we see this dirty old man in the clearing, we see that he's holding a hunting rifle. We weren't going to try and make a break for it or see what the guy wanted, so we decided to loop back around to the camp and then try to make a wide arc to avoid him. So we get back to the camp in half the time it took us to walk there and began frantically packing our essentials in a high stupor. As we're about to turn around and go, my friend points out that the bonfire is giving off a lot of smoke on account of all the leaves we used for kindling. So it's assumed that the guy can figure out exactly where we were. We stop our packing process immediately and dip into the trees, running with reckless abandon to cover as much ground as possible. As we're reaching the car, we then hear gunshots in the direction of the camp. We get into our car and floor it out of there. After a two-hour drive back into town, we reach a police station. We submit our report, even though we were clearly under the influence. They hold us at the station and send a car out to investigate. We're sitting around, freaking out. Moreover, the consequences of going to the cops high rather than being scared of the maniac. It's late in the afternoon before the car returns and tells us what they found. The tents were shredded up and had shell casing and bullet holes in them. So, no, he wasn't just hunting out there and we had gotten it all wrong. Aside from the food wrappers, they said barely anything else was left behind. From our own accounting, the guy took our weed, our keg of beer, but also my friend's wallet. We tell the police the latter, and he says they'll continue to search around, but they didn't find any cars around. We ended up going home early. My friend had to cancel his debit card and get a new ID, and we all haven't heard of anything since. Of course, the knowledge is still haunting us that this psychopath knows who he is, and roughly where he lives. I'm sure nothing will come of it, nothing has, and it's been a year, but I have no idea what this guy's intentions with us were. Why did he follow us all the way out there? Why did he shoot up our stuff? If we had remained, would we be filled with holes as well? We haven't been back to that camping site since, but we do plan on returning this summer. It's June, and we're going back in August, completely sober this time. We're going to see what came of this, if the case is even still open. Wish us luck.
Best Camping Trap by Matthias The story starts with my cousin Mick calling my sister to ask if she would give him a ride to a campsite in Nagal, New Mexico. He asked her if she wanted to go with him, and she said yes, but she asked if I could go as well. I was excited, as this was going to be my first real camping trip. Mick's sons were coming as well. They were Nick and Barry. My sister has a truck with a big bed, so me, Nick, and Barry sat in the back on the way over. When we arrived, we started putting up the tents. We had gotten there at about 5.32 p.m., and it gets dark here at about 6, so by the time we had things set up and were gathering wood for the fire, it was dark. After a bit of talking, me and Nick decided to sit in the bed of the truck and talk there. Barry joined us a little while after. Meanwhile, Mick and my sister Shay go get more wood for the fire. When they were gone and the three of us were talking, we began to hear branches breaking or being moved in the woods. We thought it was my sister and Mick. Perhaps they had turned and they were coming in our direction now. But then we noticed the flashlight they had been using. The beam was coming on the opposite side of us, not from the direction of these noises. Being curious teens, the three of us thought we had to go and see what this was. We grabbed our own flashlights and went towards it. We looked around for a while, getting deeper and deeper into the woods by the second. I was so focused and intent on finding something that I didn't realize I had lost sight of Nick and Barry. I was going to yell for them, but just before I could, Nick screamed. His shoulder was bleeding. Due to the darkness, I didn't see it at first, but when it moved, there was a slight blur to it, and I saw it. Some sort of pale animal. I shone my flashlight at it, and either it had no eyes, or its eyes were too dark to see, even with me shining my light on it. Its mouth was a triangular shape. When my light hit it, it cowered away. It opened its odd-looking mouth and screamed. A sound burst from it something akin to a lion's roar, mixed with the sounds of a woman in pain. I grabbed Nick, pulling him back away from the creature and helping him stand up. He was latching at his shoulder, trying to cover his wound. As I continued to shine the creature in its eyes, it scurried away, its movements like some sort of glitched out insect. Back at camp, Barry was already there. Mick and Shay were coming out of the woods, Wondering what the heck was going on as they had heard Nick scream. After seeing Nick's wound, we knew we had to get out of there. We packed up fast and got Nick to a hospital. Nick was fine after a lot of stitches. We tried to call the cops about it, but we were told they couldn't do anything, that we might have better luck with the game warden or the forest service. All in all, no matter what we did, nothing came of it. I guess all I can really say here is if you find yourself in the woods of Nagal, New Mexico at night, be careful and pray that you brought something to protect yourself with. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. 
June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Camping Creep and His Friends by Hannah It was a random weekend in 2016. Two of my friends and I decided to go camping. We were all 16 to 17 years old at the time. I'm from a small town in Iowa, so there's really not much to do. Camping was our best option to have some fun without parents. We got to the campsite around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we were all set up by 3.30 or 4-ish. A little background about this place. There's a pretty decent-sized body of water, and it's surrounded by 60 feet of rock around the entire thing. When you climb the rock, on the other side of the trail, there is a wooded area. It's actually quite beautiful, and a lot of young couples would go up to the top of the cliff and do their thing, because they thought it was romantic up there. It was a popular place to go, but this weekend there wasn't as many people as usual. We had made a fire, and we were all sitting around it, to the left of us, there was a camper full of about five people. They looked like your typical potheads, but we didn't think anything of it. We had a lot of those kinds of people in this area, and we were used to it. I would glance over occasionally, because I would feel eyes on me from over there. Specifically, there was a man who seemed to be in his mid-thirties, and I caught him staring at me a few times, and not in a very friendly way. I felt like he was undressing me with his eyes, and it made me very uncomfortable. Keep in mind, I was a 16-year-old young girl at the time, and this guy was obviously way older than me. It was creepy and unsettling. My two friends were a couple. Lily and Will were their names. At one point, they decided to take a walk for some alone time. I was left at the tent by myself, with those five weirdos to the left of me. I didn't really want to stay at the tent alone anymore, so I decided to grab my fishing pole and go try to catch some fish. I walked on down to the water. I was down there for about 10 minutes when I began to hear footsteps coming up from behind me. I turned around, and there was that weird, creepy guy who had been staring at me from earlier. I figured he probably wanted to go fishing or something, but then I noticed he didn't have a pole or any equipment. Up close, his eyes were even more crazy looking, and I could tell that his intentions were not pure. I immediately became uneasy, and I tried to think quickly. But he randomly said to me, What's your name? I hesitated, not really sure if I should give this man my real name, but I didn't want to have him mad at me, 
So I told him, uh, Hannah. I tried to mind my own business and continue fishing, but he continued to try to talk to me. I would give him one-word answers like, yeah, okay, cool. The conversation lasted about five minutes before he started getting really weird. He was asking me if I was a virgin, if I liked it rough, and if I liked being choked. At that point, I knew I had to get out of there, so I said loud and clear, piss off, and I grabbed my fishing pole and my tackle box. I started walking back to the tent, yet the guy continued to follow me up there. He did go back to his camper. He sat beside his friends, and he stared. I set my stuff in the tent and looked over at the camper, because I still felt watched, and of course I was right. But now they were all staring at me. Two of them waved, so I gave them all the finger, yet they only laughed at me and continued to stare. I walked in the same direction Lily and Will went. I didn't care if I interrupted their fun time. I was freaked out, and they should not have left me alone. All those strangers... They gave off a bad vibe. I once again heard footsteps behind me after a couple of minutes of walking, and I knew exactly who it was. I knew that if I ran, he could probably catch up to me. I wasn't the fastest or the most in shape. I walked faster until I got to a point where there were two ways that I could go. I went right, hoping my friends did too. I started to speed up more. I was hoping that Lily and Will were at the romantic spot on the top of the cliff. On the way up there, there were a lot of holes and big rocks in the trail, and it was hard to keep a quick pace. I looked behind me, and he was only 10 feet away now. I called out to him, why the heck are you following me? He looked back and only smiled, revealing crooked, dirty teeth. He began to move quicker towards me, so I booked it. It was all uphill and my legs were killing me, but I could hear him gaining on me still. I was going as fast as I possibly could, and I ended up tripping over a tree root that was coming out of the ground. I got up quickly and continued to run, but not quick enough. He grabbed me by my ponytail and pulled me backward, making me fall right on my back and hitting my head hard on the ground. I was dazed. I slowly tried to get up, but he was in front of me. Move, or there's going to be hell to pay, I told him. Honestly, I don't know why I did that. It was definitely not the best idea, but I wanted him to know that I wasn't scared to put up a fight. His smile faded, and he got on my face wide-eyed with an insane look, saying, Who do you think you're talking to, little girl? He grabbed me by my neck and put me up against a tree. I was so scared, but all I could do was fight back. I kneed him in the groin and pushed him over into what looked like a ditch of poison ivy. I hope it was. I continued to run. I soon saw Will standing up. I called his name. He looked over to me confused. I caught up to him and I was so out of breath and scared. And as I was crying, he probably couldn't understand me very well, but I managed to tell them what had happened. Will decided to go confront the guy. He was pretty big, Will. He was about six foot two and was a farm boy, so I had confidence in him. Lily and I stayed up on the cliff for a while. 
We eventually went back down after I chilled out. When we arrived back at the tent, the creep and his creepy friends were gone. I asked Will what he did. Apparently, he had told them that he had some heavy firepower in the tent and he wasn't afraid to use it. He didn't actually have anything, but as he was outnumbered, he figured lying would be a good idea. And all that matters is that it worked. Throughout the remainder of the weekend, I couldn't get that experience out of my head, and my throat was bruised. The Camp Stalker by John One sunny day, my friends and I thought it would be a great idea to go camping. I packed my clothes and iPad, and I was on my way to meet my friends at the campsite. When I got there, I noticed that one of them had brought their dog. I asked him why, and his reply was odd. I could not tell if he was trying to scare me or not, because he himself also looked very frightened as he said it. Because something in the woods... I was sure that he was just telling a joke. I went ahead and got the tent set up with my friend, who I referred to as Jax. At around 11pm, we were still up, and we were telling stories around the campfire. Suddenly, his dog went absolutely crazy, barking aggressively in every direction. I told Jax to go check it out, and he said it's nothing nervously, and we resumed telling stories and making marshmallows. We went to sleep at about 12.34 p.m. I woke up to the sound of barking and growling. I told the dog to be quiet, but that didn't do anything. Frustrated, I raised out of my sleeping bag and unzipped the tent. I poked my head out and I looked around, trying to figure out what in the world he was barking at. It didn't take long. There was a large silhouette of someone standing next to the trees, and they were extremely tall their head going past some of the branches on the trees. I freaking lost it and screamed, waking up Jax and telling him to run. We didn't pack up anything. Instead, we rode back to my house as fast as possible. I don't know who or what it was that was watching us sleeping in our tents, but I think this experience has ruined camping for me. Man in the Campsite by Iglay. My older sister had a part-time job as a camp counselor in Lithuania, and she invited me to visit it at least once. I didn't really want to go, as it was a camp for vegetarians, but I did want to spend some time with my sister and a few other friends that would be attending. On the first two days, nothing really much happened. At night, I only heard a few branches snapping or leaves rustling, attributing the noise to squirrels or nighttime animals. On the third day, I got really bored and irritable. There was nothing to do, and I was getting hungry for actual food. I went back to the campsite. I was supposed to be back at the game area or helping the kitchen with lunch, but I was rebellious and decided to do my own thing. I lay down and started to read a book. Pretty soon, it became difficult to continue reading, because someone would not stop rustling around in their tent next to me. At first, I thought it may have been a female counselor searching for something, but the rustling continued for around five more minutes. I got eager to see what was going on, 
So I unzipped my tent, and I poked my head out to look at the direction of the person. It was a clear day, so I saw who was there. It wasn't one of the other kids. It was a man. I thought maybe he was a male counselor. But all the counselors have colorful uniforms and boots to be recognized with. Yet this man was wearing camo pants with a leather jacket. I think that he heard me zipping the tent because he stopped rustling and crawled backwards out of it. I quickly crawled back into mine and zipped up the entrance. I was breathing pretty heavily, so I covered my mouth with my hand. Then the footsteps started. They were coming right around toward my tent. I think that he didn't know where I was, since we were in a cluster of other tents. I saw his shadow, though, walking right past my tent. And thanks to his silhouette, I saw that he appeared to be carrying an axe. I mean, not a hatchet, but a big tree-cutting axe. Thankfully, he walked right past my tent. I waited a good while before unzipping the entrance just a little bit, just to see my surroundings. There were only trees and tents, just like before. The man was gone. I stepped out slowly, being cautious still, yet I still didn't see anyone around. I went to check the path the man had walked. There were some boot prints on moss. They were huge. I went over to check the tent he was looking around in. The girl that owned that tent, her clothes were scattered around inside. Her backpack was unzipped and the entrance was left open. Something tells me the girl hadn't left her clothes like this. I ran to the fireplace as fast as I could and told the counselors what happened. They looked worried and we hurried back there. I showed them the boot prints in the tent. The owner of the tent soon realized that several pieces of her underwear and clothes were missing. Even after what happened, the counselor still wanted us to stay in the camp and asked us not to call the parents just yet. That was a bunch of bull to me. Safety should be top priority, and if there was some crazy guy walking around with an axe, none of the kids should still be here. For the rest of the time I was there, I didn't leave my sister's side because I was terrified of that man coming back. Yet nobody saw the man again and nobody else's personal things were taken after that. But I can tell you for sure that I'm not going back to that camp. Massachusetts Skinwalker by Aaron It was the early 2010s. I was around seven years old. I was in my backyard camping since I've never been camping before and my parents thought it would be fun and cute to let me camp in the backyard. They even joined me. After a fun night around the campfire, it's time to hit the sack. We crawled into the tent and quickly dozed off, but something in the middle of the night woke me up. I had to use the bathroom really bad. I crawled over to my mom and rubbed her shoulder lightly, saying that I needed to go pee. She grumbled and told me to go outside near the tree. I did as she told me and steadily walked over to the tree outside the tent. As I did my business, I remember being nervous for two reasons. One, it was very dark and at that age I was afraid of it. And two, all of the sounds I had fallen asleep to, night birds and insects, they had gone silent as if they'd disappeared. 
but soon a noise did interrupt the silence. At first, I thought it was my mom calling me, but it wasn't coming from the tent. It was coming from in front of me, where the hedge and the metal fence met. It was calling to me. I ended up turning back and forth, looking at the hedge, then back to the tent, wondering what was going on. Did I not just crawl over my mom to get out of the tent? Who was talking to me? As I looked at the hedge more closely, I managed to make out a figure standing there. A figure whose skin was wrinkled every inch, as if withered away by hundreds of years of age. And I saw its mouth move, and my mother's voice came out. That's when I screamed. I ran back to the tent, and surprisingly, no one had been awakened by my screaming. I huddled up close to my mother, and I closed my eyes, trying to pretend that I was just sleeping. A few hours later, I was saved by the sunrise. Groggily, I helped my parents clean up. I never again asked my parents to camp out in the backyard. Even when they thought it'd be fun and asked me, I refused. But I never told them what I saw. Because I don't know what I saw. National Forest Monster by Abner S. I really loved the summertime, so when summer arrived in 2005, I was already starting to plan a little overnight camping trip in a national forest only a couple towns away from where I live. I always go alone, and this would be my first time going to that specific national forest. I guess with this trip I was unprepared, because while getting there, I had realized that I forgot to bring a ground cover for my tent, since I didn't use a tent with a built-in ground cover at the time. Plus, I forgot some other small things. I was already more than halfway to the forest, so I said screw it, and kept on going. It was going to be night soon anyway. Things only got worse when I encountered a ton of traffic on the highway, throwing me a couple of hours off schedule. On my way there, I camped glancing at the sky and looking at the sunset. It was already getting dark. After around 20 minutes of driving from the exit, I got to the mountains, and there was nothing but trees on either side of the road so I thought that I was already in the park. I did think to myself for a split moment how it was weird that I never saw any entrance signs, but my main focus was trying to find a good spot, any spot, to camp for the night. After 20 more minutes of driving through pure forest, the road turned to gravel, and I thought to myself, this has to be some sort of camping area, right? Looking back, I should have turned right there, but I was exhausted and tired of driving. I finally settled on parking near a clearing on a dirt path, and I set up my camp there. When I got out of my truck, things seemed pretty normal. The only thing out of place at the time was that there were no other sounds except for the crickets and the sound of me setting up my camp. There was no wind, no frogs, owls, or any other people. Just me and the crickets. It was already getting late by that point, a little past nine, so I had my dinner, sat around the campfire for a little bit, then climbed into the tent to sleep. I found myself awakened. I checked my watch and it was a quarter past 11. 
I thought I woke up because the bare ground had made my back stiff, but my back felt fine. I came to the conclusion that I just woke myself up randomly, so I closed my eyes and tried to get back to sleep. But then I heard a deep, raspy... Far in the distance, I sat right up. What in the world was that, I thought to myself. That didn't seem like a howl or a growl of any animals I knew. I went back down in my sleeping bag, desperately thinking to myself a logical explanation as to what that sound was. Maybe it was an owl being killed by a wolf or something, I don't know. After around two minutes of trying to fall back to sleep, I was immediately jolted straight awake by the same sound, this time right next to the wall of my tent. In pure shock, I immediately jolted up, bust out the front of my tent and ran straight in the opposite direction of where the thing was. I didn't look back, and I didn't even catch a glimpse of whatever it was. I was running for only a couple of seconds when I slipped down a hill. Keep in mind, I was barefoot and in pajamas. I tumbled for a few seconds, and then, once I stopped, I tried to keep as motionless as possible. Maybe the thing didn't see me fall, I thought. I didn't want to give away where I was lying. I listened. There was nothing. I waited a little longer, but still nothing. I slowly peeked over the hill, trying to see as much of my campsite as I could in the dark, but I could not see any of it. While doing this, I noticed that the crickets were now quiet as well. It was just pure silence. I didn't hear any leaves crunching either. It seemed to be all clear that I was able to make a beeline for my tent to grab my pack bag, which had some miscellaneous stuff in my wallet in it, but most importantly, my keys. I knew I'd have to do it quick, so I tried to get to my car as fast as possible while making the least amount of noise. Every time I stepped on a leaf or twig, I cringed. I successfully got the bag and started opening it ever so slightly to get my keys. Once I got the keys, I went over to the car, unlocked it, and ignited it. Once I did this, I started to floor it out of there. I knew I shouldn't have done what I was going to do next, but I took one look back at the tent. Crouching down right beside the tent was the thing. Even in the darkness, I could make out its features. Its eyes were completely black, body covered with short white hair, and the overall body structure was barely that of a person. I knew it saw me, because once it did, the creature let out that horrific sound again, that all too familiar. I punched the gas pedal on my car. I didn't stop until I got to a hotel far away from the forest. I got a room and immediately collapsed into the bed, exhausted. I had a nightmare that night of the creature looking at me through the hotel window, slowly and steadily letting out that horrific sound. I jolted awake to the sound of nothing but my own heavy breathing and the crickets outside. Now, this may have been paranoia, but I think, sitting in that hotel room, trying to fall asleep again, I think I may have heard that discernible screech off in the distance. 
The Camping Skinwalker by B. Bo. It was May 27th, 2008. It was a Thursday when this happened to us. It was my 12th birthday, and my mom decided to book a five-day forest camping trip. I've always loved camping, and I needed some fresh air from playing too much PS3. I arrived with no problems apart from forgetting my spare trousers. On Monday, we did some archery, and on Tuesday, we went rock climbing, and on Wednesday, we made little boats and saw if they would float. Every night, we'd hang out around the campfire and sing songs, make s'mores, and play Chinese whispers. On Thursday, things changed. I woke up that night to see that Andrew and Callum, two people in my tent, were gone. I unzipped the tent to investigate. I listened closely. And then I heard it. It sounded like Callum, and he was screaming for Stan. Terrified, I zipped my tent back up, and I laid down, covering myself with my sleeping bag. Later on that night, Callum and Stan never returned, but I did see an oddly tall shadow walking around my tent extremely slowly. I don't think that was a counselor. The next day, I reported it to the counselors that Andrew and Callum were still missing. There was a search party, and they ended up finding the two boys huddled together in the forest under a makeshift shelter. They were shivering and scared and complaining about coyotes, even though we're not supposed to have those here. It was definitely strange. I just wish I knew what they had seen that night. Ghost Girl in the Cabin by Mayamu. When I was in school, every year the sixth graders went on a week-long camping trip to the coast. It's called Sixth Grade Camp, and it was really fun. That year, my class went down to Mendocino to stay the week in the woods next to the coast. Everybody got split up into groups of three to share a cabin. So my two friends, Emma and Lauren, and I got set up in a cabin named Cabin One. Everything was great. The cabin was small, but it was well kept for the most part. We had a rule, though, that when one of us had to use the restroom, we would have to wake up another person to go with us, a sort of bathroom buddy, because the woods were very creepy at night, and the bathroom was a long hike up the hill. One night, I was awakened by the sound of footsteps coming from the back of the cabin to the front, where my bed was situated. They just kept going back and forth really loudly, so I thought it was one of the girls who needed to use the restroom. Maybe she was debating which one of us to wake up, or if she even had the guts to wake one of us up. I listened for a bit, confused and waiting for someone to speak up and ask if we wanted to go to the bathroom with her. But there was just silence, just footsteps going back and forth. I decided to look up from my pillow, and what I saw scared me half to death. It was a little girl dressed in a nightgown, standing over my bed. She was looking down at me. At first, I thought it was Emma, because she kind of looked like her. Short, curly blonde hair and a small round face. But then I remembered, Emma wasn't wearing a nightgown. I was petrified. I pulled my head under my blanket and prayed for it to go away. I fell asleep eventually, too scared to uncover at all. 
The next day, I asked Emma if she had gotten up last night at all, and she gave me a really confused look, saying no. That day, we found a really old family photo stuffed in the rafters of the ceiling. In it, there was a little girl with blonde curly hair. I don't know if she died here in the camp, or if that was even a ghost at all, or a demon pretending to be a little girl. Either way, it scared the absolute crap out of me. Thank you for stopping by at our little campsite here at Camping Horrors. To hear your story on the show, send it to us for narration at darkstories.org. For more narrations from me, you can catch me on my other podcasts, Unexplained Encounters, and Tales from the Break Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Or you can go to eeriecast.com for those and even more terrifying podcasts. Follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Dark Prevails, and be sure to leave Camping Horrors a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now then, I'll see you soon when the campfire blazes once again. <laughs>